You know, I don't know if you guys realize, but you got a pretty state here. I can understand why Jason and Melissa decided to come. But yeah, my name is Rick Sacy. I'm the lead elder at Grace Covenant Church in Arlington, Texas. And the reasons why I'm here is I bring greetings of peace and good to you from your brothers and sisters in Arlington, Texas. I want to take back to them the fact that we have a great body of believers here in Colorado. We have brothers and sisters here, and I know that many of them will be coming up to visit with you. Uh, it's going to be hard for us to let Pastor Jason go, so you may be seeing strangers coming in periodically, so you'll forgive us for that, but we're very happy for you, and, and that's the whole purpose of why I wanted to come. I told Jason when he had uh, let us know as elders that he had taken this position that uh, one of the things that I felt I would love to do was to write the elders a letter of congratulations and blessings uh, because, let me tell you, you're getting a fine man. Uh, he is, he's left a church that is now uh, in very good shape. Uh, we're a very solid congregation because of his teachings, because of his instructions, and the fact that he has kept us focused on this, I love this because we have the same thing at our church, just this massive cross behind us. It keeps our focus clear that the only thing that matters is Christ. That's the only thing that matters to us. This is why we live, we move, we have our being is because of Christ. And so we wanted to, to love on you guys, to tell you blessings to you. Uh, you're, you are going to be so blessed and fruitful because of the ministry of this fine man that uh, we're, we're very happy for you. Now, we're, we're sad, but you know something? Um, we believe in, in, in how fluid the kingdom of God is. Uh, people move to and fro in the kingdom of God. Colleen and I learned that as we were missionaries uh, in the Middle East at one time, that you build friendships that you feel will last forever, then the next thing you know, the Holy Spirit calls and, and they're gone. So, but that's the way the kingdom of God is, and that's what we embrace. We, we are happy for that. We're happy for the Freemans. And, and we're asking you to be happy for us because we get to experience a new thing in God at Grace Covenant. So we're, we're, we're anxious to see the things of God happen in our lives but we're also giving glory to Christ because this is why we gather. The reasons why you're here, the reasons why we gather where we are is because of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he is doing in this world. We are, we are taught that the gospel is number one, the gospel is first, and then how it expands into our community of believers. And as we grow in the gospel and as we progress in the things of God, how we take it from the community of believers here into the world, into the mission. So we want to encourage you in that, and you will definitely learn that with this man. Uh, he has taught us well, and uh, I know that many of you have a good, solid teaching here with Pastor Jim, but uh, I believe Brother Jason is going to take you uh, into new realms of the gospel that you're going to be very excited about. So with that being said, I, I think I had f five minutes, but <laughs> I, I, I'm more than excited to be here and so privileged. Thank you. Uh, Brother uh, Kerry and Lisa, wow. I mean, Colleen and I are thinking of staying another week or so. <laughs> but unfortunately, we got to go back and, and we have issues at our church that we need to deal with. 
but uh, I did want to extend to you our blessings, our peace, our joy to you from your brothers and sisters in Arlington, Texas to you. So God be with you, the spirit of Jesus be with you, and may you grow in his glory and his grace. Well, this has been an exciting August for Bergen Park Church, a full August. Last week you uh, had the privilege and opportunity of, of uh, bidding a farewell to Jim and Barb. They haven't left yet, they're still sitting here in the front row, but. <laughs> And this week is the commissioning of your new pastor. This is an exciting and important time in the history of Bergen Park Church. I've had the privilege over the past two decades of watching Bergen Park Church grow and, and change, and uh, just a lot of great things have happened under the ministry of the Demolers and the spiritual leaders. And your leaders and search committee have been working hard over uh, the past period of time to help bring us to this day. I would like those who are on the search committee, would you please stand? Would you just stand so we can see who's, yeah. These men and women have put in countless hours and prayer and time working on your behalf to bring you to this point in your history. And it is an exciting time. So this morning, I would like to bring a challenge to you as a congregation and what your relationship to your new pastor and his family should be. And then I'm going to bring a challenge to them as to what their relationship to you should be. Does that sound fair? Is, is anybody paying attention? Or? <laughs> Guys all just already checked out. How many of you have heard of, maybe not read, but heard of the book called Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten? Okay, a lot of you have heard of that. That was written by an author named Robert Fulgham. Robert Fulgham is not a Christian. He's not a believer. But he has some insightful things to say. In a different book that he wrote, the title of that book is titled, Uh-oh, that's the whole title. He wrote this. Uh, it's the beginning of one of his chapters. He says, I spent an evening focused on fireflies recently. The tree in front of me was full of fireflies as though somebody had overdone it and put too many little white lights on a Christmas tree. And I kid you not, the fireflies were doing synchronized flashing all together, on, off, on, off. One of these little flashers landed on my pillow when I went to bed. So I put a water glass over him and watched him up close and I wondered the following thoughts. How much control does a firefly have over his stern light? For instance, could one be trained to do Morris code and be worked into a flea circus act? <laughs> does a firefly ever attract teeny tiny moths? Does a firefly enjoy getting turned on, or is it more just like hiccups and urgent involuntary spasm? Do fireflies come with different wattage, like light bulbs? Do fireflies burn out, leaving old fireflies to wander around in the dark, unnoticed 
and unloved. And then he says this, and I thought, this is insightful. He says, I know some people who give off a lot of light. It's because they've absorbed a lot of light themselves. They shine. It's not the kind of light you can actually see with your eyes, of course, but there are lots of parts of spectrum of light that we can't see. And I thought, Robert, you just described the body of Christ. People who have absorbed the light of truth, the light of creation, and are giving it off in the community and culture where they live. So my challenge to you, Bergen Park, is that is who we are supposed to be in the community. I'd like you to open our Father's Word this morning, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, it's a challenge that is being given to the believers in Rome regarding their relationship with one another. And if this is true in our relationship with one another, it is most certainly true in our responsibility to our spiritual leaders, specifically your new pastor. I am going to give you five challenges. Take notes. There may be a test. You just never know with me. They'll all start with R so that you can remember them, okay? The first one is be respectful in how you communicate and talk about your new pastor. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 10. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I hear a lot of trash talk in the church. I hear a lot of people tearing down one another and especially their leaders because they are easy targets. Are you aware that when we say something negative about another individual, we're saying something negative about God because it says in Scripture that we're created in His image, Imago Dei. And if we're created in His image, then anytime we tear down somebody, we're tearing down God Himself. We are to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And I, I would challenge you, never entertain negative comments regarding your pastor. In fact, if somebody says negative, something negative about your pastor, I challenge you to counteract that with something positive. We are to be a body of believers that emanates the light of love, compassion, concern for one another. And Kyla said it earlier, that, that's what your church is known for in this community. Certainly be known for that as you communicate with one another and to your community about your pastor. Be respectful. Secondly, be responsible. Verse 11 goes on to say, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I pastored for 23 years before coming into the position that I'm in now. And I can tell you, as a pastor, one of the most difficult uh, part of the responsibility is getting others to join in the ministry. He says, don't be lacking in zeal. Serve the Lord. When I walked in this morning, I heard a collective sigh of relief. <sighs> we finally got our pastor. Now we can relax. Eh, 
Thanks for playing our game, but no, now is the time when you get to work. You need to keep your spiritual fervor. You need to be serving the Lord alongside him. Many think, well, you know, we've got our pastor. He's come to do the ministry. No, he's come to equip you to do the work of ministry. Now, I didn't check with the elders, and I didn't check with the search team as to what your job description is for him. But I will tell you what Scripture's job description for him is. There are several passages. One's in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. There it says, God gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as teachers and pastors and evangelists. And then it tells why. For the equipping of the saints for the building up of the body of Christ. And it tells us when his job is complete until we all reach full spiritual maturity found in the Lord. His job is not to do the work of ministry. His job is to come alongside you, to train, equip, make disciples for doing the work of ministry. Be responsible. Third, be reinforcing. Verse 12 goes on to say, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Be reinforcing. Do these things. Let me start with the last one and work my way backwards. Faithful in prayer. Uh, my role as a uh, pastor to the district churches is to go in in part and help our churches that are struggling. And we have a couple in the district right now that are. And the first question that I always ask is, tell me, how have you been praying for your pastor? And the answer I get is the silence that you just heard more often than not. It's hard. It's a hard question to answer because if we're really praying for our spiritual leaders, for our pastor, I don't think the difficulties will come. It also says that we need to be patient in affliction. Those of you that have been part of this congregation for any period of time know that you have ups, you have downs. Churches go through cycles. They go through times of celebration. They also go through times of difficulty. When affliction occurs, we should not be attacking one another. We should be patient with one another. We should be building one another up. We should be faithful in prayer. And we should also be joyful in hope. I would encourage you to encourage him. When he gives a message that particularly touches your heart, and it will happen occasionally, trust me on this, <laughs> send him an email, make a phone call, tweet him. I don't even know what I just said. <laughs> I, I don't know if we can say that. Are you, are you on Twitter? Yeah, okay. Whatever it takes, we need to be joyful in hope, encouraging one another. I would also fourth challenge you to be reasonable. Verse 13 says, share with God's people who are in need. Now, obviously, this is written to the church uh, to, that they need to be sharing with others that are in need, not only in their own community and culture, but other churches in the world at that time. But it particularly applies to those who have committed themselves to teaching and preaching and leading to your pastor. He needs a reasonable salary and support package on which to live in this community. And again, I haven't had this discussion with your leaders, so I, I don't know what you're doing. 
Jim and Barb look well-fed. That's good. <laughs> I trust that you've taken care of them. Take care of your new pastor as well. So that he is not distracted from ministry by the cares and concerns of the world. And then fifth and finally, be responsive. Verse 13 says, practice hospitality. I understand this community is a busy community. You are busy people. A lot of you uh, commute down the hill to work. Uh, I, I mean, there's a, a whole lot that goes on in American life. But don't get so busy that you're not hospitable toward your pastor and his wife and his kids. And, and, and I know, having been a pastor, a lot of people think, oh, well, they're busy. They don't have time to come over. You know what? You don't know unless you ask them. Their families are in Texas, not Colorado. And a pastor and his wife considers their family the people that they stand in front of every Sunday. You are their family. Invite them over. Have them in your home. Practice hospitality. One of the greatest blessings to my wife Carol and myself when we were in pastoral ministry were a couple of families that adopted us in the sense that they invited us over for Labor Day and for Memorial Day and for Thanksgiving. And, for, and sometimes we, we said no, but you don't know if you don't ask. My challenge to you, Bergen Park, is do some of these simple things that are so important to your pastor and his wife. Fair enough? So I've challenged you with five. I think it's only fair that I challenge him with five. What do you think? And these aren't all going to start with R. There's now alliteration here. You're educated. You should be able to take notes. There's going to be a test every day of your ministry. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Pastor, you already know this passage. Uh, it's Paul writing to Timothy. He calls him my son. It, Timothy is his son in the faith. It's not his his uh, literal physical son, but you know that there's a close relationship between Paul and Timothy. Timothy, a young pastor in a very difficult culture and community called Ephesus. First Timothy or Second Timothy chapter two, verse one, he says, "Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus." It's not easy being a pastor. You already know that. Pastor Jim will tell you that. I, I think of, of Christ and, and those that were following him. I, I think of, uh, my imagination goes to some of his frustration. You know, he's got this expressive personality called Peter that's always doing crazy stuff. He's sitting in the garden with, uh, of Gethsemane, the deepest, darkest hour of his life. And he's got the three that are closest to him, his closest. And he says, stay here, watch and pray. My hour's at hand. They don't know what that means. But he's just, just, just pray. That's all I want you to do. And he goes away and he comes back and he finds them sleeping. Uh, really? And he wakes them up. Come on, guys. And this, I mean, being a pastor can be frustrating because you are dealing with ordinary people that have extraordinary needs. And as Paul says to Timothy, be strong that is in the, uh, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, it, it, it makes me think of the grace that he has shown for me. When I get frustrated, 
with God's people, I think about how frustrated he must be with me and the grace that he has shown to me. And, and I know stuff about me that nobody else knows. And he shows me grace. So take that grace. Express it toward your people. Second, be a discipler. He goes on to say, 2 Timothy 2.2, the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. You've already heard me give the challenge to your congregation that they are to come alongside you in ministry. Your job is to equip them. Your job is to make disciples. And making disciples isn't just mentoring somebody. It's mentoring somebody who mentors somebody else, second generation. It's the job not only of Ephesians chapter 4, equipping, training, teaching, building them up in Christ. It's also an Old Testament concept. I go back, I think of Exodus chapter 18. Uh, Moses, he had a great father-in-law. I don't know what your father-in-law is like. Don't weigh in on that, that right now. That's rhetorical. But <laughs> Moses' father, Jethro, comes to Moses and he says, Moses, you're working 18 hours a day. You're wearing yourself. What are you doing? And Moses says, oh, the people, they need me. And Jethro said, yeah, not so much. I, okay, that's a marginal reading. <laughs> but what Jethro says is, you need to equip others. You need to set men over groups of I mean, it's the discipling principle. You, as a pastor, need to be one who is a disciple maker. Third, be absorbed by the ministry. Paul now lapses into three different metaphors, and all of them talk about being absorbed by the ministry. The first metaphor is that of a soldier. He says, verses 3 and 4, "...endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus." No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs because he wants to please his commanding officer. Background for this, I know you know this, but I'll fill it in for those who don't. When a soldier came off of the field and there was a battle going on, he was sequestered. He wasn't even allowed to go back and be with his family. Why? Because he was to be focused. He came back for the very specific purpose of rest and renewal so he could go back. He wants to please his commanding officer. So he doesn't get involved, Paul says, in civilian affairs. He is focused on the task that is before him. The task before you, you're moving into a community just as you moved out of a community, both of which are spiritual battlefields. But the stakes are higher than just winning a battle on an earthly plane. We're talking about the eternity of the lives who, of the people who live in this community. Be absorbed by the ministry. Be self-disciplined. The second metaphor that he uses and the challenge that I would bring to you here, the second metaphor is that of an athlete. He goes on to say, similarly, if anybody competes as an athlete, he doesn't receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And again, he's, he's talking about the commitment and the focus of Timothy as an overseer and a pastor. The athlete that wins is the one that follows the rules, the one that stays within the boundaries of what the rules of the game are. Well, too many pastors, and again, in the role that I play, I find are 
finding themselves disqualified because they're stepping over the boundary. They're going outside. They're not absorbed by the ministry and they're not self-disciplined in the way that they should be. And they're allowing themselves to get involved in things that they should not get involved in. I would challenge you by being self-disciplined, three things, subpoints under this. Be in the Word every day. And when I say be in the Word, I don't mean in your preparation for Sunday morning or small group or what. Yes, that's important. But be in the Word for yourself. Where are, and I will be asking you, where are you in the Word? How are you applying it daily in your life? What are the practical, measurable applications? And then third, or second, be in prayer. This is a cool job. They're paying you to pray. <laughs> but the tyranny of the urgent can rip you away from being on your knees. Don't allow that to happen. And then the third subpoint under this, be in fellowship. Find a man or two that you can trust your deepest, darkest thoughts with. The type of fellowship that he's talking about is the koinonia, the sharing of your lives with one another. Be self-disciplined and you will not fail. You will not cross the boundaries. And then I would also, fifth, challenge you to be diligent. And I know you've already looked ahead and you know this passage well. The third metaphor he uses is that of a farmer. Verse 6, he says, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. And I'm going, Paul, farmers, you could have gone so many places with that metaphor, and this is where you went? We have in our district churches that are in farming areas. And I've sat on combines with farmers, and I've talked with them, and and, and I've thought about this verse as I've done that. And what Paul is saying here is, if you do all of these other things, if you commit yourself, if you're disciplined, if you're training and discipling others, you are going to be the first to benefit spiritually from all of the work that you are investing. So I would challenge you to be patient, to be faithful, there are times when you're not going to see anything happening, just like farmers are waiting for the, after they've tilled the field and they've planted the crop, now they're waiting for the produce to come. But pastor, you set the schedule, you set the vision, you set the priorities, you set the direction. Paul concludes in verse 7 by saying, reflect on what I am saying and the Lord will give you insight to all of this. Sound fair? Yeah. You're like, you know, in Acts. Yeah, we'll hear you again on this, you know. <laughs> Acts 13, verse 1, gives a great model for commissioning. It says, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, and then it names them, Barnea, Simeon, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So it says, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. 
So that is what we are going to do here. Um, you've been fasting for, oh, I don't know, an hour. We'll make that count, okay? <laughs> you haven't been eating, right? But we need to lay hands on your pastor and his wife and their children and pray for them for success in the ministry that they are about to embark upon. So I'm going to invite them and their children to come up and have a seat. I'm going to ask the elders if you would come up. We're going to lay hands on your pastor and pray for him. I'm going to ask just a couple of the elders to pray, and then I will close. Pray out loud so we can all hear. <laughs> critical kingdom people in and out of our lives at critical times. And this morning we celebrate the fact that you've moved Jason, Melissa, and Bryce and Nate into our life as a church here. Uh, Lord, we ask you to bless them in every way uh, with housing, with provision. Um, ask that you, uh, most of all, protect them spiritually. Uh, keep them close to you. And uh, I pray that we would, as a congregation, be uh, mindful of the things that Greg has uh, spoken to us so that we could be a blessing to them. Lord, we thank you for bringing them here, and we pray for them as you uh, as you work through them in Jesus' name. Father, we just uh, lift up Jason and Melissa and Nate and Bryce to you, and we thank you for bringing them to us. We um, ask that uh, you be very, very close to them and uh, just lead them and guide them and the Holy Spirit would be with them daily. And uh, just ask that they would be uh, insightful and good leaders of this church. Father, it is with great joy that we welcome the Freemans with great joy and uh, high expectations. Make us also realistic. Last time I checked, he has to put his pants on one leg at a time. And when you pinch him, he says, ouch. So Father, uh, encourage them, lift them up, let them walk close to you, and let us be more than willing to walk close to them. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Father, we ask that you would empower Jason and Melissa as you've already gifted them to be disciple makers here in Bergen Park. That they'd be patient, filled with grace and expressing it, focused on the task that is before them, not distracted by some of the outside cares of the world, and so now we lay hands on them, as in the Old Testament, the priest did on the penitent, the king did on his successor, the 
Father on his son. We lay hands on them and commit them to you and to this ministry for the namesake of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Bergen Park Church, it is, it really is a privilege and an honor to be called by God, but also to, to meet you and to, as time goes on, to earn your trust. You know, ministry is a calling by God. God calls a man, God calls a woman to serve others, but though it is called by God, trust is something that I want to earn from you. And so in the coming weeks, I want you to know my desire is to get to know you. We're going to be seeking to set up uh, one-hour meetings with each family in the church. I'd love to ask you some questions, uh, maybe how you came to faith, how God is working in your life, and then also, you know, what's your passion? What do you see God doing at Bergen Park? What do you want to see God do in Evergreen? And so consider that in the coming weeks, I'm going to be asking those questions, and I'm really passionate at hearing uh, what God is saying to you, and as I, I learn from you, I really get to learn the heart and uh, the community at Bergen Park, and so I'm excited for that. Uh, and then next week also, we're going to start walking through the book of James. The book of James is the first book that I memorized in totality, not because I am bright or good at memori- memorizing, but honestly because I was a very poor reader, and getting the word into my heart allowed me to not only teach well, but to pray well and to experience God's presence. And so next week, if you want to start this week, uh, start reading through the book of James. And then next week, we'll start looking at the wisdom that God gives us to walk by faith in a community that doesn't love God, doesn't love Jesus, and really sometimes looks at us and says, why do you do the things you do? Well, we need wisdom to walk out in faith and to show this community the power of the gospel and the impact that Jesus Christ can make. So would you commit to doing that? Would you commit this week? Maybe pick up the book of James back of the New Testament uh, and just start reading through that. I'm not sure else what I should say this morning. Uh, what's the next step, guys? Are you going to come up and sing? Okay. Well, let me pray for you, and then I'm going to step down. Father, you tell us that you oppose the proud. You give grace to the humble. And so we humble ourselves before your mighty hand that you may lift us up. Father, the work that you desire to do is so much greater than our own dreams, our own vision. It's it's as great as the glory of Jesus Christ. It is as mysterious as Christ taking on human flesh and being a servant that died on the cross. And yet, Lord, it is as powerful as the Holy Spirit that now dwells in us and teaches us. And so, Father, help us. Help me as a simple man humbled before your grace to love well, to teach well, and to be a reflection of the power and the glory of Jesus Christ. And, Father, bless this community to always look to you. And, Father, to find the power is in the gospel, and it's in you. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.